0: Hello and welcome to episode three of Who the Hell is Norfolk? This is, of course, the companion podcast, the far better research A History of England by David Beeson. Uh, I'm here joined by my uh, underling host, uh, my father, David Beeson. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to it. So today we're covering episode three of your podcast. And before we move on, was anything you wanted to uh, revise or go over from the previous two episodes? Not that I recall. Fantastic. It's so far, flawless performance. So my summary of episode three of your podcast is we move on from Henry VIII to his youngest child, but only son, surviving son, Edward. Now, when I think Edwardian, I imagine a sort of handsome mahogany writing desk. I'm imagining this isn't that Edward. No, that
1: was Edward Seventh, uh, a few centuries later. Uh, the one that we're talking about today is Edward VI. Oh, right, okay, so I'm not that far off then. No, no, the numbers you're not, uh, in hundreds of years, a little more, <laughs> uh, he was Victoria's son, uh,
0: whereas Edward VI was Henry VIII's son. Fair, okay, very good. So this Edward, well, he didn't really do much, did he? Well,
1: uh, quite a few things happened during his reign. Uh, he didn't do a lot of reigning because he came to the throne when he was nine and he died when he was 15. So the country was in effect run by not a regent, which is often the case, but Henry VIII wanted to make sure that there was more than one person running it. So in his will, he set up a regency council, and most of well, for the whole of the time, uh, the, the council was running England. But it did quite a lot of things, like uh, it really moved England very heavily in a Protestant direction, and not always in the nicest of possible ways.
0: Right, right, so uh, that clears up one thing for me, because I was like, so who who decides who is on the Regency Council? In this case, it was Henry. He yes, saw...
1: he, he named, I think it was 16 people, uh, and he left them all equally powerful as each other, uh, but within minutes of uh, his death, or maybe even slightly before his death, it was very awkward at the time, because it was actually high treason to... Compass the monarch's death. So, if you did so much as suggest that he was going to die, you'd been guilty of uh,
0: high treason. Right. So, if you invite the priest to give last rites, you might end up getting helped. absolutely.
1: And in fact, that's uh, something rather odd in that way happened. Someone did actually pluck up the courage to say to Henry, "Would you like to see a priest uh, for the last rites?" And uh, Henry said, uh, "It needs to be Cranmer, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was also his friend." Uh, but I don't need uh, him quite yet, I want to have a rest or sleep or something, fell asleep and never woke up. So those were his last words. Oh really? And he never got the last rites. But you're absolutely right, I mean people uh, were frightened to offer him the last rites because to conceive of, to think about the the monarch's death was high treason and high treason was itself uh, a, a cause for death. Yeah. So probably a little before he died and certainly soon after one of the members of the council one of the seymours edward seymour, as it happens uh, began plotting for the council to nominate a lord protector from amongst its number who would be overall in charge and he had a candidate in mind for that position i'm, I'm guessing
0: he was looking out for number one in this case he right? was indeed
1: he was uh, a seymour just like jane seymour of course uh, edward's
0: mother yeah. Was, so, was he? Do we know the relationship with Jane? Or
1: yes, he was his brother. Uh, he was her brother. Oh, okay. And therefore, he was Edward's uncle.
0: Right. One yeah. Uh, like so much of this history, it seems so much of it is to do with families, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. Okay. So they, the Regency Council, elected, chosen by Henry, and then they elect one, and the person who organises this election happens to win. The election. And he, right. and he's, but in, in your episode, you refer to him as the Duke of something. That's the Duke of Somerset. Uh, that's
1: the title that he took, uh, and what he's often best known as. But if we say Seymour, it's a bit like who the hell was Norfolk? Uh, Seymour
0: tells you that he was Jane Seymour's brother and the uncle of the king. Fantastic. So you make this point about how he uh, was very good at getting into power, but they're not so good once there. So, first of all, what made him good at getting into power?
1: Well, I mean, he organised his election. I mean, he did it very cleverly. He uh, didn't waste any time. Uh, what he did is he started uh, um, you know, contacting members of the council to secure their support. Uh, and uh, he organised things, manipulated things, so that he would be made Lord Protector. OK. just a, But then once then, what, what yeah, he faced a bunch of problems. Yeah, a whole pile of problems. I mean, you know, uh, Henry had left the country heavily, indebted or at least sorry, with very bare coffers. Uh, Henry was a profligate, he spent money on wars and on grand gestures and so on and so forth. So you had serious problems for serious financial problems to contend with. Uh, war hadn't, hadn't done England much good. Uh, and uh, Somerset or Seymour was no man to address these problems. What he was clear on was that he wanted to be a Protestant and he wanted the country to be Protestant. And you know, a number of things happened in the course of Edward's reign or non reign, uh, such as the burning of the books from the Bodleian Library in Oxford, which was
0: you know, one of the best collections of, uh, or, or great books in the country. What, Where, like what is it like? How many people are reading these books that they feel they need to burn them? Well,
1: I mean, not very many. I I don't know the overall literacy levels in in England, but I don't imagine it reached ten percent. I'm guessing that
0: uh so is it so, like more symbolic perhaps is saying this is the end of catholicism or do you think they were genuinely concerned that the books would convert some people back to papacy
1: well i suppose uh they, they must have felt that concern um i mean they, these were all sorts of books but they were in latin and they were by leading figures from the catholic world and so they were seen as somehow tainted by catholicism it's never stopped uh, book burners that actually they're not achieving very much from doing what <laughs> they're <one. laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, also like you, you talk about Edward being you know, a Protestant king, but he was nine. How Protestant can a nine-year-old oh, uh, be?
1: The Jesuits had a saying, give me a boy at the age of seven and I will make him mine for life. Uh, you know, Seems a bit inappropriate nowadays. Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, maybe you know, with the knowledge that we have these days, we can reinterpret that making him for life. Making <laughs> theirs for life uh, in 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 a different sense, uh, but it does make I
0: mean, it it is a crucial time to mould a mind, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, and, and and Jane Seymour Jane Seymour was uh, absolutely Protestant. Is that hence Edward being or I
1: I'm not sure about Jane. I mean, she may well have been. Yes, she probably was. But I don't think she was much of a thinker. She wasn't sort of you know, a leading theologian. I I think the way it works is this: is that You're given certain fundamental texts. You may not have got to read them, in which case, someone will read them to you and explain them to you, and so on and so forth. And if they are texts uh, that correspond to the beliefs of the Protestant religion, then what you're absorbing is Protestantism. Mm -hmm. Now, you may not know that it's any different from what the kids in France are learning.
0: I mean, that makes, yes, I remember uh, chatting with some American acquaintances and they're talking about the church they went to. I was like, oh, is it you know, a Catholic Protestant? And they're like, oh, we don't really know that. And they told me they were evangelical. My understanding is that all evangelical churches are Protestant. Yeah. I mentioned that to them, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, we don't... It, it was irrelevant to them. Like what yeah. they did was that church. And so yes, yeah. I
1: think uh, you know, there is the church. This is the church I go yeah. to. This is the priest I listen to. This is the tutor who teaches me. And you know, he teaches me you know, whatever, 39 articles or whatever it is that he's teaching me. And I believe that to be true, and when you're young, yeah. uh, it's, you know, you're even less likely to question it than if you're in your, your teen years or young adulthood. So what's happening is that someone is absorbing, uh, from a very early age, uh, tenets that are Protestant without necessarily even knowing true. that they are Protestant. I, Later, he sees something else and he's told that this is Catholic and heretical, the work and of Satan, and he says, yeah, burn it.
0: This is part of the problem with history in general, I find, because there are things that I learned growing up as a kid that I just take for granted, and then history doesn't really care about those concepts. And for, I think one that's tricky for what well, has always been tricky for me is, and I, I hear these sort of boffins saying, oh, you know, the nation state is a very modern invention. But growing up in the 20th century, it's the, to me, the, the nation state is the most natural thing in the world. Right. I can, yeah, the, the map, it has a bunch of clearly defined borders with little colors and stuff. And that's this nation and that's that nation. Because when you study history, like the nation almost doesn't seem to matter. It seems much more important, these little baronies and and how many nobles do you have supporting you? And it's about certain important peoples having this much support and then fighting each other in the same country or different countries, hardly seems to matter.
1: Well, I mean, remember that for a very long time in a bit of an earlier period than the one we're dealing with now, uh, large tracts of France, had as their overlord the King of England. Now, I think we mistakenly say those parts of France were English. They weren't English. They were exactly as French as any other part of France. The other people living there were French and so on and so forth. It's that their local Lord, their Duke or whatever you want to call it, happened also, you had a second title, well, his first title really, but you know, another title of uh, uh, King of England. So he was Duke of Aquitaine and also King of England. Now,
0: See, that's confusing as well. You yeah, the fact that they hold multiple titles. Yes, you
1: can hold yeah. multiple titles. I mean, it's just like today, you can own multiple properties. Now, mm. you know, the fact that uh, Donald Trump owns the Trump Tower in New York doesn't mean that you can't own the Trump Tower in Chicago. He owns them both. Now, these days, we don't tend to hand out titles with those. Things. Well, we handle out mm. title deeds. Yeah, yeah so I
0: guess it essentially is. But, but you don't get a
1: noble title from it. But so
0: if, those French people in the... English holdings in France, would they also have had to be Protestant? Would they have been a subject? Well, by then
1: then, uh, we'd lost them anyway. So uh, uh, that is what happened. (laughs) But yes, uh, uh, that was one of the principles that was accepted at the time of the wars of uh, religion, or towards the end of the wars of religion was uh, in in Latin. They said uh, "Curius regio eus religio. Stop showing off, (laughs) Uh, which means. So as the ruler, so the religion, basically, in other words, uh, whatever religion
0: the ruler had would be the religion of his people. So it's a bit awkward when there's a succession and they have a dip, the new ruler has a different religion, everybody yes, has and to convert. Yes, obviously happened very
1: little, but uh, it did happen a bit. Uh, but what it meant is that if you were a German, for instance, and your local uh, duke or elector, whatever his title was, decided to embrace the new religion, Protestantism, then you were deemed. By that fact to be a Protestant. And what happened later is it's very interesting to see the development of Germany in this way, is that you get people like the Prussians who broke that principle. So, for instance, the Prussian, uh, well, later royal household at that time, the electoral household, married the into the Principality of Cleves, which was Calvinist. And the rulers of Brandenburg, Prussia were. Uh, Lutherans.
0: So this is two flavors of Protestantism. Two flavors
1: of Protestantism. And in order to make this marriage to this princess from Cleves, they had to convert to Calvinism. They said, well, we want the territory, so let's convert. But we're not going to convert the whole people with us. So just just so, the family. So just the royal family became Calvinist, and the rest of the nation stayed Lutheran. But that was a remarkable... A you know, uh, uh, you know, surprising. A break from history. Yeah, a uh, break, uh, as you say, from precedent. Uh, and you know, earlier on, there really was this sense that whatever the king or the local lord was is what his people would be.
0: Okay. So we have our Duke of Somerset not doing great, uh, ends up paying a price for his incompetence.
1: Yes, indeed, yes, uh, eventually he was, uh, I mean, if you remember the, the whole story is that his brother got into serious trouble, and uh, that's Thomas Seymour, Edward Seymour had him executed, uh, which uh, you know, is not probably the most fraternal of our, our, our gestures, but then he eventually ran out of credit with the people he'd run round to support him as Lord Protector and got displaced, replaced by the Duke of Northumberland, and then he ended up on the block. So both of them ended up...
0: And what happened to his brother? Why did, they, why did he execute his brother?
1: His brother uh, married uh, Catherine Parr, who was the widow of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. So the last of the six wives, the one that survived him. And Thomas Seymour married her. And she had taken the Princess Elizabeth, later Elizabeth I,
0: under her wing mm-hmm. so seeing as her mother wasn't around to help out exactly right her mother being anne boleyn yeah there's a long wife it's hard to keep track of them all that's
1: right six of them she was wife number two and she was executed so catherine parr was looking after the young elizabeth and thomas seymour who married her started to uh well he instituted a kind of nightly ritual of romping that's the word that was used mm with the young princess
0: hence starting a whole new genre of pornography that is still going strong today so it would appear so stepdaughter stepfather yeah, yeah like that's going on. Yeah.
1: so uh it's possible people have often argued that one of the reasons that uh, elizabeth never married is that this early experience i think she was 14 at the time or something <laughs> uh uh rather push her off uh, any idea of sex with men or anybody else come to that uh i don't know if that's true but uh yeah, you know, it doesn't that doesn't seem impossible yeah. does it but what he then did is he tried to hold her virtually hostage and make ah, yes. a bid I mean, for the crown himself. This is a
0: spoiler that's territory because this, this is this episodes four episode. or five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, Edward dies young yes. of an illness.
1: Yeah, I think he was very sickly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Seems to be but a bit not know which, I don't know which illness yeah. ultimately killed him, but I think he was weak throughout his life, yes. Yeah.
0: And they, they had selected somebody to succeed him, this poor girl. Yes, I mean the the Seymour family wanted to hang on to power, which is what people
1: with power generally don't yeah, want to do. But hoarding. So they uh they had their you know, cousin of theirs, Anne, uh, to become queen after Edward died, uh, and uh that would have meant breaking Henry VIII's bill, uh, sorry, Henry VIII's will mm-hmm. and the Willed act of them. Parliament. Yeah. Well, there was a bill at the same time oh, it was I see. before Parliament, which then became an act, which specified that should Edward die childless, then the throne would go to his elder stepsister Mary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, a lot of people in England felt that um, they wanted to see the will and the bill uh, honoured. And they rallied to Mary in large numbers. You know, uh, again, something which has had plenty of uh, further examples down the ages. You know, be careful what you wish for. Yes. Uh, what you support may not turn out to be quite what you hoped for. But they marched on London and uh, she was able to seize power. And poor little Anne went to the scaffold after nine days. How old was she? Oh, young. I can't Why do they
0: have to kill her? Like, you know, like Henry... D- didn't particularly fancy oh, Anna Cleves but he didn't kill her like, no was, but Anna Cleves was never a threat yeah she wasn't yet yeah, was, she yes. never
1: tried to organise a, 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 a she never made a bid for the throne on, on her own right I think I mean this is not at all to excuse them I find their behaviour absolutely appalling but uh, I think the way a lot of people have thought down the ages and you know, it's the same thing with you know, 20th century communists executing the Tsar's family or the family of the Tsar if there's a flag that the enemy can rally around then it's a constant threat so Mm -hmm. you wipe it out and I think there was a sense that Anne represented a danger and
0: therefore the safest way of dealing with was to put it underground Fair enough Are you familiar with the Bader-Meinhof effect?
1: I'm aware of the Baddermannhoff
0: group. Yes, of a, we might as well quickly give me a summary of who they were. Uh, they were, uh, They were. I think their
1: uh, real name was the Red Army Fraction. Uh, fraction, so fraction. the mathematical group. Is it faction, I thought, sure. it, was, I thought it was fraction. But, I mean, oh, okay, I this is, it's a German word, yeah, fact, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, But it may have been faction. I can't remember. Anyway, the RAF, anyway, which is not the Royal Air Force. Right. Not in this case. Uh, they were a... what? You know, Depending on your point of view, they were a resistance group to capitalism, or they were a terrorist group. Yeah, and far they, left, no? Far left. And they carried out a lot of uh, pretty bloodthirsty attacks on various people in Germany in the 70s, 70s? and 80s. Yeah. Eventually they were captured and a bunch of them ended up committing suicide in jail
0: where they were being held, if I remember, in fairly inhuman conditions. Oh, another heartwarming story from it history. Was, yes. So the baden Effect is not actually about the group, or at least not directly, it's, a thing, it's something that I'm sure all of us are familiar with. It's that sensation you get where you learn about something for the first time, apparently in your whole life, and then the very next day or within the next week, you hear other people referring to it in a completely unrelated context. And it's almost as if this thing suddenly sprang into existence upon you hearing about it. And then it's everywhere. Yes. We can all, so I, I, obviously, It's called the Biola Mindhub effect because apparently a lot of people had that experience specifically with that group. The yes. first time they heard about it, they suddenly found it everywhere. Uh, hopefully now, any listeners who weren't aware of who they were, who've now been explained what it is, maybe they'll hear it again in the next week or so. And then they'll say, ah, oh, that's the Battle line effect Norfolk effects. And I've done two things in one go. Do it, But there's a point, I had that recently, because uh, obviously we... I was editing episode two of Who the Hell is Norfolk? And I made that rather silly point about uh, English queens. And you said, well, of course, by this point, there hadn't been any. But oh, you remembered one called Matilda. And as you know, uh, most of my historical knowledge comes from computer games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think they, they computer games help in the sense that you, you actually have to interact with certain things, certain concepts, whether it's a, a nation or uh, even a military thing. And I think the granddaddy of these games, the first game that made me even begin to be curious about these things is is a game called Age of Empires and I'm sure our listeners may at least have heard of the name. That's a game that really made me understand that you don't want to charge, in, charge with your knights into a group of pikemen, for example, and also the importance and the sophistication of a trebuchet as opposed to a mangonel. Very important knowledge. The point is, they have recently released the fourth game in the series. This is 20 years after the previous game, Age of Empires 4, and the first campaign is the Norman campaign, starting with 1066. And it kind of taught me a couple of things. One, well, the first two missions, the first mission is the Battle of 1066. So the Normans take over England. The next mission is a, a brutal put down of rebellion in the north. Mm-hmm. But then every subsequent- The of the Lord. The harrowing. there's almost 100,000 people potentially. Yeah, but very nasty stuff. But then every single subsequent mission is one of the members of this family fighting another member of the family. And actually, going back to the whole like, this 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 disconnect between state and holdings and what have you, the, the after the, William the Conqueror died, and it went to William the Second, Rufus. Yes. So so after him, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then there was the problem. There were two remaining sons: another Henry. Yeah, who uh, died? Was he the one who died in the White's... Oh no. I just played yes, this. Yes, I should know yes. this. There was there was a Henry Henry the yeah. first. Henry the first. Yes, and, and, and then and... his
1: son. Drowned yes. in the White City, and
0: Matilda is is the daughter, As the daughter, yeah. and Stephen, Stephen, his nephew, I think. But before that, there's a Robert who Henry the had to fight back in Normandy. Right. So, like in the reversal, 1066, I had to sail from England into Normandy to yes. reclaim Normandy. So again, it was Normandy, English or not? You know, this little bit. It's about this family, and if a member of the family says, "Hey, I should have," Robert said. In fact, I think Robert was older than Henry. So it's, it's unclear to me why Henry get, got the throne. So then, next thing you know, he's fighting his brother. And then, of course, Henry wins the throne, but then his son dies. He wants Matilda to be queen, but then some of the nobles don't want her to be queen, and Stephen, a cousin of hers, claims the throne. It, and also, does this even count as a civil... I mean, I, th- I think Matilda and Stephen counts as civil war, but I guess Henry and Robert didn't because they were different countries. It? Yeah, it's, it's all... It may, well, Duffield, I mean, you,
1: you were talking about the fact that the nation-state is a modern invention, yeah, and yeah. it is. Let's just keep remembering that. What you had was a a patchwork all over Europe of relatively small noble holdings, most of them were small, and one of the things that you tried to do, I mean I mentioned the the, the Prussian royal family, one of the things the Prussian royal family was always trying to do is the same thing as most other royal families, is increase their territory and also in the case of something like Prussia, connect it up because they had bits isolated with other people's uh, territory in between. And you could do that in many ways. I mean, conquest is obviously one of them, but another is marriage. You yeah. marry into somebody else's family, and and you get it. But then, what happens? Uh, you end up, for instance, as king of England by conquest. Now you're a French speaker. You don't speak any English. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, there's evidence that it took a long time before the the court began to speak English, like two or three hundred years. Yeah. So you have this foreign elite running England. Mm. And it had kept the original holdings it had before it came to England, which were Normandy and other bits of France. Now, so in what sense did they ever become English? What happened is that the people who were running those bits of France arrived in England and added England to their holdings. Now, it's true, this is where it becomes slightly paradoxical. They end up as king of England. Whereas they're only dukes, dukes of Normandy. Of Normandy. Yeah, yeah. So in a sense the more senior title is the English one. That, by the way, is a real problem for the King of France, because the King of France has no problem at all with having uh, one of his vassals be the Duke of Normandy, because you know yeah, a so Duke is below a king, so that's yeah, yeah. fine. But this Duke of Normandy is now a king in his own right. And indeed, as you well know, you get a hundred years' war out of all this. Because you know, these this Vassal family becomes too big for its boots. Now, one of the things that always happens in these situations, well, perhaps it always, but almost in every single situation, is that when one man gets that much territorial wealth and that much power, he never wants to share it. So, if his brother comes along and says, Hang on, hang on, you've got England, you yeah, have Normandy, yeah. his answer is going to be no. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I want the lot. I mean, apart from anything else. Normandy is my foothold in France, and I want that. I want to challenge the King of France at some stage. Yeah, so that's why the families end up fighting each other, and that's why Matilda and Stephen fought each other for fifteen years, apparently. Yeah, yeah, very long time. And,
0: and, and she never really took the throne properly. Like in the, 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 the solution was he Stephen got to keep the throne so long as her son got yeah, to. Yeah, that yeah. was Henry II. Henry II, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. Land of winter and all that.
1: Um, so yes. Uh, you get these family disputes because they're all about who owns what territory. Um,
0: You know, it makes you think like how could anybody ever believe in this whole idea of royal families or whatever when it's all such, so obviously a bunch of squabbling siblings and cousins. And also it makes obvious just how important succession is. They have, I guess one one of the many, many benefits of democracy for all its faults is at least the rules of succession are clearly laid out and you do your term and then we held an election, and then the next person, well, usually people accept that the person who wins the election uh, then takes over. And it, I think it's not just the idea of the vote being important, but the idea that there's a clearly established set of rules of what happens next, and none of this sort of, oh, I've got the support of this many nobles, and you have the support of this many nobles, let's fight it out and see who comes out on top.
1: No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, uh, the problem is, and the people, one of the reasons that people didn't like democracy long before it became you know, the, the way we organize things is that you don't know beforehand who it's going to be? In principle, you don't. In some places, you might. Yeah. In you do places, you might. In Putin's Russia, <laughs> yeah. You do, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, nobody knows who will be the next prime minister in England. Could well be Boris Johnson. But could be, be elected. Else, yeah. Could be Keir Starmer. I, I guess it, go, could be it, show, else. it goes to so show you yeah. don't
0: know. But, but maybe that's the point. Maybe the person is less important than the system, the 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 rules of how you establish the next person.
1: I think the problem that many democracies face is that, that I mean, I, I, I agree with you entirely, I think that's absolutely true, but I think most people don't see things that way. Mm. The human thing is to want to know who's going to be the next... Yeah, for
0: stability. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and that, I think, is what monarchy gives.
0: It was a very satisfying example of bader Meinhoff effect that we had just, or I just heard you talking about Matilda when editing the episode, and the next thing I know in this game, here she is... And also means I'm much more likely to remember her now, I, But no doubt I learned about her at school and she completely slipped my mind. Also, maybe if I played the game without the podcast, she would have slipped my mind. Or if you mentioned her that one time and then I didn't get it reconfirmed. And I think that's a, a, a sort of thing about how we learn stuff. You need to hear it from multiple sources. Like oh, you yeah, know, doubtless most of our listeners are getting the entirety of their understanding of English history purely through this podcast. But I recommend them to diversify their sources and they should, yeah, learn from other places, specifically computer games. Yes, I couldn't
1: agree more. Uh, And they'll have more fun.
0: Well, uh, that's enough for episode three. We may have um, diverted a bit from the original subject, but uh, join us next time to go over the bloody reign of Bloody Mary.
1: I look forward to speaking to you again.